Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to the Soundologia podcast episode number one. Soundologia is where we have conversations about sound, arts, and technology. If you're interested in modern and experimental music, where your sounds, unique sound experiments, and different approaches to sound perceptions, this is the place for you. I'm your host, Peja Kovacevic, and I would like to welcome you to the Soundologia platform and our podcast series. In our first season, I will be hosting Miami-based artists, composers, performers, and those involved in sound, art, and technology. Make sure to like the Soundologia page on Facebook and follow us on Instagram to stay up to date with our upcoming guests and events. It didn't take me long to decide who to invite to be my first guest. This is why I am so happy to have composer, multimedia artist, singer and educator Dr. Liza Seguido at Soundologia today. She is also a founder and artistic director of Psyche Electroacoustic Opera Company. Dr. Seguido is currently teaching at Florida International University and Miami International University of Art and Design. Hi, Liza. How are you today? Hi, Peja. I'm fine. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast. I'm so happy you're here with me today. We did many successful projects together during my studies at FIU, and I have been enjoying collaborating with you and learning from you. So I'm really happy to start uh, this first podcast season with you. Thank you very much. And it was certainly a pleasure working with you. Uh, for more than 10 years, if I'm correct, you have been immersed in experimental music and technology. That's correct. Since you're specialized in electroacoustic composition and uh, interactive media, multimedia art. Uh, today, I would like to primarily focus on a few, let's say, three aspects of your work. Your opera cyborgs are dancing interactive media and technology you're using in your project. And the last segment would be uh, your approach to voice and experimenting with voice, uh, specifically in your piece Missa della Grande Transione. So let's start with uh, Cyborgs are Dancing. Uh, the title is somehow provocative. Maybe you can just tell me why did you choose this title? Okay, well, Firstly, the title was inspired by an album by Isao Tomita called Snowflakes Are Dancing, which, is, uh, which are electronic arrangements of Claude Debussy's music. I've always thought of Claude Debussy as my patron saint of composition. And when I experienced... Tomita's version of his music growing up, it inspired me so much. And I feel that that album kind of led me into uh, electroacoustic composition. And so it was an homage to, to, um, to the inspiration uh, behind a lot of my work, but also the title is relevant to what the piece is about, about how technology is influencing the lives of humans. We 
are more and more every day becoming more like cyborgs. We are uh, beings that are organic and technological. We always have a phone in our hands. Soon we will have those phones replaced by implants uh, and other things. And um, whether this is a good thing or a bad thing is the question. And the opera proposes that it is a bad thing. Right. I completely agree that we are becoming more and more isolated in some yes. sense. And I cannot figure it out. Is it good or bad? But probably we can use the opportunity of isolation. But sometimes it can be our deficiency. Uh, ever since I heard this piece, I have been thinking about new horizons and new meanings you ascribe to the genre of opera. Uh, and I even wrote an essay about this work. And before I ask you another question, let me first read uh, one short paragraph. Sure. Cyborgs are dancing builds various communication levels referring to different periods in music history, styles, genres, composers and techniques. It also includes emerging visual and audio technologies, making it a pure multi-digital musical piece. However, in its conceptual sense, what gives this opera spaciousness is its setting in a small and narrow space where performers and audience can experience an intimate atmosphere. Cyborgs Are Dancing is an engaging opera not only because of close interaction in a small space, but also because it involves the audience in the creation and performance, extending the original Arto's concept based on the interaction between audience and performers. I'm referring here to the French writer, poet, dramatist Antonin Arto. With the gaming controls in their hands, the audience gets the role in creating the audio-visual performance. Moreover, bearing in mind that the audience now influences the visual aspect of this opera, each of its new performances is practically a unique multimedia spectacle. The opera combines disparate artistic disciplines, retaining all the elements that traditional opera implies, such as traditional voice, acoustic instruments, as well as those musical parameters they determine style and aesthetics, such as model harmonies, Spregesang vocal style, sonic clusters, plain chants, musical minimalism. This opera embraces the modern technological progress achieved by Max MSP software and applications, which gives music a new meaning to life. So let's start with uh, the main concept, even you explained the title. Why is this opera described as the opera in progress? Well, when I engaged in this project, I wanted to involve the audience in the performance. That's something that I have not done at a very high level in other compositions before, and I thought, it's about time. I've never done this before. I want real, real, tangible audience participation in, uh, in the performance of, of the opera. So what I first thought of was, I'll 
I will put a gaming controller in the hands of every audience member and in that way they you know everyone's played video games at some point everyone's kind of familiar with um uh the feel and how you're supposed to use gaming controllers so i think i thought that that would be the most intuitive uh tool for audience interaction in in the performance and i thought every controller would have uh an influence over some aspect of the music and over some aspect of the digital sonography which is made up of a, a an interactive dmx and a, a mapped projection system um because of the cost of getting a controller in every person's hand. And I'm thinking, yes, this is a chamber opera. I don't want any more than 150 people in the audience. That would be the maximum. Um, that goal became really unrealistic because I don't think I would ever be able to get the funding to uh, get that many wireless gaming controllers Um and so, therefore, uh, it is a work in progress because uh, I am reimagining the opera so that every audience member can use their phone to control aspects of the performance. And before March 2020, when... Uh, when things kind of went south, um, I was working uh, or uh, working with a former student, a very talented former student who is now a software developer. And uh, we were having uh, conversations about um, developing an application similar to Touch OSC that would interface with Cyborgs Are Dancing's Max Patch to give every single audience member a, 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 a way to interface with the music and the scenography in a way that is uh, less expensive for me and also uh, very practical for them. It would just be... Uh, all, they, all an audience member would have to do when they purchased a ticket, they would also get a link to download an application to put on their phone. And then once uh, at the venue, the phone, uh, their phones would synchronize via Wi-Fi and then interface with my Max patch. And um, I can't get into further detail uh, how the app would work because that is... Uh, uh, information that I promise to keep confidential with my student, but um, that is the more practical solution to achieving uh, what I want to achieve. More practical, less expensive, but even though it's less expensive, it's still a $16,000 project. So Right now, as it stands, Cyborgs Are Dancing is going to be a work in progress for a very long time. Um, 
I have to get my business back in shape uh, so that I can raise the funds so that I can contract the building of this application that would interface with my match, Max Patch. I was thinking now to ask you, have you ever thought uh, of the 3D reality, virtual reality and those classes maybe that one day people can really be the part of the opera, not just to attend the event at the place where is the opera, but from their home uh, with those classes and using the application uh, to provide their contribution to the sound and the visual elements of the opera. That will certainly be the next level of, of things. Um, in every composition, I try to push the boundaries of my skills and my knowledge. Cyborgs is inching towards that VR uh, realm, but it's not quite there yet. Um, right now, as I conceive it, this particular piece is more or less a traditional opera with interactive uh, elements uh, and, and music being generated in real time uh, by, uh, by computers and uh, the audience members. For this piece, that's where I'm going to... I'm going to stop it. I like to finish something first and then continue on to the next concept rather than keep, continue to build and build on the same composition. I think after I get, after I have the ability of getting a controller into every hand, every, <laughs> after I get, a controller into the hand of every audience member. And again, I'm conceiving a small audience, no more than 150 people to keep that intimate feel. This piece will be premiered, it will be done, and then I will move on to another composition 
or I will push the boundaries a little more. Great. We started talking about the software and the hardware in your application, actually. Now let's talk a little bit about those traditional elements. So the piece is written for live processed soprano, live processed violin, live processed clarinet. Uh, there is one dancer. So uh, tell me, uh, how did you conceive that concept to have acoustic instruments? They're processed through the Max for live application. And I, I also want to know more about the libretto that derives from uh, selected poetry by Francesco Petrarca. So why Petrarca? Why did you choose uh, that specific text? Well, to answer your first question, why traditional elements? Why traditional elements when there is uh, wonderful technology out there uh, that, that can realize music uh, in very precise ways and um, in very wonderful ways. When it comes to electroacoustic music, uh, I, I should, I'm speaking for myself. I want to keep performance in stage works. I want there to be interaction between the audience and the, and the performer. When a string, when a, when a live string quartet comes in front of an audience, whether the audience or the quartet is aware, there is an exchange of energy that between the, between the, the audience and the performers that affects the performance. And even though everything may be notated for the performer, that performance is going to be a little different than if they were performing in, in front of another audience in, in another environment because there is a real exchange between the two. And so I want to keep that energy exchange in my music. And that's why I will not write any fixed playback composition. I am not one to produce a work uh, and and then uh, go in front of an audience and just press a play button and the work is already realized and there's no opportunity for an exchange between the audience and um, and uh, and a performer. So that's why I like using traditional instruments. And you notice that in all of my work, uh, when you see the instrumentation lineup, it says live process this, live process this. And that's to make it clear to the person reading about my composition that I do not use any fixed playback elements in, in my electroacoustic work. If you hear a violin with an effect on it, that means that that sound was produced in real time at the time the the performance was recorded. That is very important to me. How, how do you score uh, these, those effects? There are a bunch of effects. And we'll talk about the music material. Uh, that is the next, my next question. 
but just uh, to interrupt you and to ask you, uh, do you score them? How do you put like uh, in the notation, uh, I want reverb effects, I want delay, I want flanger? Well, what happens is um, everything that the, per the, the performer is going to play is notated in traditional notation. And then underneath the traditional notation, I create like mini tracks, what you would see in a DAW, but smaller. And so when a delay effect is going to begin, you see a track that says delay goes from this to this mm -hmm. in the music. So I, I set up a timeline with tracks underneath traditional notation so that the performer knows, okay, here's when the delay comes in, here's when the granulization comes in. And so um, very straightforward. Um, I try not to use too much uh, obscure graphic notation because I don't want the performer to have to study a huge key of symbols in order to realize my music. The lives of performers, uh, they're, they're always very busy. And so the simpler the score, the better the work they're going to, the more work they're going to put into your music. Because if it's simple, it's more enjoyable to work with. And um, that's the approach I take to uh, scoring my music. And each of them uh, controls... Uh their, their effects and everything, or there is a person who triggers those effects? I'm glad you asked that. It's neither. What I like to do, um, uh, and, and just to mention before, I don't use Max for live. I use Max as a standalone application. And what I use it for is to create an application that realizes the composition. And so everything is automated. When a performer sees in my scores, delay starts at one minute, 50 seconds, that is triggered by my max application. Neither I nor my performer has to worry about stepping on a pedal. It's all automated.
Even in a bit dark mood, this is a quite astonishing end of the first moment of the opera Cyborgs are dancing. Let's stay a little bit uh, on the libretto. Sure. And why Petrarca? Okay, that's a that's a very good question and a lot of people have asked me that's like why Petrarca? I've been using Petrarca for my vocal music for at least 10 years now. Why? Why haven't I turned to anything else to construct my librettos? Petrarca's canzoniere. And it's it's just the canzoniere that, that I've been using for, for these 10 years. Talks about everything. It's a humanist masterpiece. It covers the topics of politics, love, lust, the human experience. And so... If you want to write a composition about love, turn to Petrarca, canzoniere. If you want to write about politics, Petrarca, canzoniere. You want to write about this, the, it, it will be covered in the canzoniere at some point. About faith, it will be covered in the canzoniere at some point. Why in the original Italian? I love singing in Italian. And so... Um, Using a translation of Petrarca, to me, first of all, would be a sacrilege. Because it's, I mean, I like to, I like to compose all uh, after I already have the text. And the way that I like to compose vocal works is to improvise on the text uh, within a... Uh, a certain parameter of styles. And so Petrarca's text sounds so beautiful. It was, it's very easy for me to do that and to generate material. This piece is about humans interfacing with technology in a way that is not healthy. I was able to tell the story with the reconstructed words of Petrarca. I don't need to turn to another text. And I, I've worked with it so much, I know it, I'm comfortable with it. And I would say, as a composer, if you find that a, a certain tool is really enriching your writing, improving your writing, making your writing more interesting and more complex, why turn away from it? As Stravinsky said in his uh, Poetics of Music, variety is the enemy of composition. And so I don't... I, this one thing, this one piece of literature is all I've needed to... Uh, to push out really, really, in my opinion, good work. Yeah, I like you combined all those traditional elements and you went back to Italian Renaissance and that amazing, an amazing period when the arts was flourishing. 
uh, all types of arts from from painting to literature to music yes and petrarca dante were artists and writers who brought italian uh, renaissance arts where it should be today to consider as one of the of the greatest period of time in history of arts. Yeah. Tell me, uh, the opera world contemplates technology's potential to weaken and subjugate humanity uh, using uh, a lot of these uh, devices that actually affect uh, humanity today, society. Do you consider uh, your performance as cyborgs? Yes. So... Technology in many ways is a blessing, is a blessing. It has made doing business more uh, economical and therefore more people can start their own businesses. Uh, people from across the world can communicate um, inexpensively. Um, it's, and, and look, look what, what tools we have as artists. Technology, beautiful, beautiful blessing. But there is a dark side to this blessing that I address in this opera. Um, not directly, but indirectly. What's important to think about when we use this technology is that it's become so much a part of our lives. What do we do if it's, first of all, taken away? We've become so, so reliant on it. And then what do we do when the oligopoly that controls this technology, because an oligopoly does control this technology, this technology is being developed and disseminated by just a handful of companies, of corporations on this planet with power in the hands of such few people, what happens if they want to use this technology against us? And the opera touches upon this very subtly. In the beginning of the piece, you see the main character, reveling in the power that she has to control her environment, to supposedly have con full control over her life with this technology. And as the opera progresses, you see this human become more and more of a mindless automaton that is being controlled by the controllers of the technology, which is being represented by the motion-captured dancer in the opera. See, it, it, there's, there's an exchange of roles. If you, if you watch the, the two uh, moving characters on stage carefully, the, the singer and the, and the dancer, while singer is how empowered by the technology by technology at the beginning of the work you see we notice that the dancer has more mechanical movements 
the human is in control of the technology, so she thought. And as the opera progresses, the dancer moves more like a human being and the singer becomes the the machine, a mindless machine, a machine that's being controlled by the oligopoly that controls the technology. Now, this is, uh, it's a very popular topic. It's, it's been touched upon in so much of uh, recent art. Let's take the movie The Matrix. I mean, we, we touch on this topic so much in our art. I, I, I felt like this was perfect perfect subject matter for an opera that is being realized um, by technology. And so there you go. Right. Yeah. It has always been a duality. Yeah. Uh, when you consider the technological progress and you have bright and dark side. And when you mention Matrix or other uh, references, uh, there is a movie Avatar the BBC documentary, the most provocative is that you will have those avatars of alive or dead persons who can do everything that the machine, actually that the person or the machine can invent and create. So I was thinking tomorrow you will have a lot of avatars who imitate some famous people like singers, performers, and by applying or using 3D reality, you can make events wherever do you want and everybody can be at the space, at the concert call, at the hall, actually in that 3D dimension. Right. So right. that is something that it makes me thinking about cyborgs are dancing. So my concern is, will you need the real performers in the future when you can automatize everything? I Peja, that is an incredible question. I'm glad you asked me that because I've, I've been battling with this reality. Right now, as we are speaking, I am working on a percussion robot. You control it through MIDI, but in essence, this robot, I am thinking, will be replacing some performers that I would have to hire if I wanted to realize uh, a certain type of composition. But then again, (laughs) man, you cannot synthesize what a percussionist can do. I've gotten in, well, To be perfectly honest with you, I got into music technology for practical reasons. It was the most practical way where I can realize my ideas as a composer. It made producing beautiful work economical. Just look what I was able to do with cyborgs with one two, three, four. I lost track of how many performers I have on stage with a handful of performers mm-hmm. and a projector, a DMX system and a computer. 
I was able to create something so evocative um, and economically, relatively speaking, without uh, cons- without without considering the expense of you know the controller in every hand, it's a pretty economical composition. And even with the expense of creating an application to get a controller in the in the hands of every audience, I mean, the expense of of developing an app, I mean, compare my budget to the budget of a, you know, huge opera company. Mm-hmm. But my work would be just as evocative. So this technology has given me so much power to be able to, uh, to produce things that otherwise would cost a lot, a lot of money. It's made me really independent as an artist. But the thing is, it's coming to the point where, okay, I'm working on a, a robot performer. What am I going to take away from the human next for the sake of practicality? Oh, experience this piece at home. Say, you know, holographic technology becomes something that is uh, in everyone's home within 10 years. Oh, you can experience my work at home. Isn't that great? Well, no, it isn't great. We can't synthesize the joy of going out and being in front of, really being in front of people, exchanging energy. Um, That cannot be synthesized. See, the uh, technologists think that they can synthesize everything. Oh, uh, let's let's take let's take uh, the the perfumery. Mm-hmm. industry mm-hmm. that uh, likes to synthesize uh, the natural compounds that are fragrant from plants with petrochemicals. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's the same thing. You know, you're getting the same smell, but they're not taking to, into account the complexity mm-hmm. of how that compound evolved in an in in a flower, for example, and how that naturally created compound has an effect on your body. That petrochemical that they're using to synthesize the smell of a rose or the smell of whatever will not have the same effect on your body. They think they can synthesize something better than what nature can do, but they can't. Right. So... You cannot synthesize the experience of going to a performance, no matter how perfect your hollow technology is. You're not really there. You're not really in front of the person. You're not really experiencing it. And so although that may make some works more accessible to more people, we are losing something if we think that that can replace actually going to a place and experiencing real performers playing music in front of you. That's my take on it. I love to hear that. I love to hear that. It, it, it makes me feel optimistic and especially for the future generations because, you know, I'm not sure if future generations will understand what you and I are talking about right now. 
So let's move uh, to the music uh, material. Uh, so most material is practically based on minimalist motif that is constantly repeated with some minor changes in uh, thematic evolution, if I can say that. I realize that there, there is some increasing sound by uh, adding effects yes. and electronic sounds. I found uh, elements of traditional minimalism in the style of uh, Reich and Glass. Tell me something about the idea of musical material, structure, compositional process. Well, I want it to be... It, it, the, minimal, the minimalistic section of the composition lies uh, in the center of the composition where the singer transitions from happy and empowered by technology and slowly realizing what's happening to her and becoming more uh, mechanical and uh, downgraded by the technology. And so I wanted that evolution to happen gradually. And what a perfect way to make that transition than with a style of composition that is all about slowly evolving material and what you start with isn't isn't at all what you end with that was the the idea with this minimalistic approach to the reverie uh, uh, part of the of the opera now i must add a disclaimer to this when you go and you listen to the workshop of cyborgs are dancing which is on youtube and you hear the minimalistic section it is not realized properly and what happened technology failure um with the time that i had to troubleshoot the technology of this composition uh, I was unable to fix the problem, the very simple problem of being able to fully have enough acoustic isolation for the violin so that I can boost the mic input gain on the violin so that it can feed enough, inf enough audio uh, into the max patch to realize that minimalistic section the way that it was supposed to be um, realized. And so I've been in communication with Scott Flavin, who was the wonderful violinist that worked with me uh, in Cyborgs, uh, about creating a studio rendition of, th of the music of Cyborgs so that people have a better idea of what the music is at least in the minimalist section, is supposed to sound like. In the future, I will definitely need uh, at least a, a, drummer's, uh, uh, a drummer's partition. It's kind of like um, a, a plexiglass shield that you place around a drummer and live performer to isolate them uh, from, from the environment and from the rest of ensemble so that you have as a li in live sound reinforcement you have more control over the balance of all of the elements uh sonic elements of your show and so 
um, there's another expense that that uh, another investment that I have to make in order to truly realize the composition as it was intended. Um, because even with using a shotgun mic um, as the as the the mic. Um, that I was using to capture the violin, it wasn't enough to isolate him from the environment, wasn't enough for, uh, for me to turn up the input levels on the violin to feed the max patch uh, enough audio to really realize that minimalistic part of the composition. Um, and again, that minimalistic part of the composition um, was supposed to be really dense, really rhythmic, and it, it, it was... It just didn't come out in the workshop video, and again, I I I am I am in communication with Mr. Flavin now to fix that, and so um, I hope to send you a link once the once I get the fixed the studio version of the work published, and then you can you can tell me now mm -hmm. what do you think of the minimalist section because right now it. It's really along the line. You can't really hear. You can't even really hear uh, what, what's what style of minimalism I'm referencing. I'm much more on the side of Reich than on the side of glass. You do get evolving lines, but of course, since the technology didn't uh, put out the lines as uh, as uh, because of the technical problems I was having, you can't hear you can't hear um the composition and so um that's one of that's been one of my greatest disappointments in the current realization that's available online um so again i hope to remedy that and um yeah remind your viewers to uh keep an eye out on psycheopera.com and that's where i'll be uh posting announcements about this studio re rendition of cyborgs.
The fact that the modern music uh, has been going through a challenging period in the last few decades, especially last years, with fewer funds available to composers of experimental music, do you see the concept of the black box theater as one of the possible solutions for experimental artists to get exposed to the opera genre? And I know that you recently moved uh, to a new place, actually, the rural area, and I would like that maybe you can touch upon those things and your future plans regarding Black's Book Theater and future projects. My husband and I used to, well, we collaborate in a lot of electroacoustic performances. He is also a composer and audio engineer. We used to participate in many local events and it was always, always tough because we used to have to carry so much equipment with us and it then when we arrive at the venue take so much time to put it together and then we never really have enough time to troubleshoot um, our setup and therefore um, it was always a there was always a 50% chance that our performance would blow up <laughs> something would happen it takes a lot a lot of preparation to do what we do at the level that we do it so we started a concert series that was 
sponsored by Miami-Dade County Public Library System called Kendall Sound Art, which took place at the uh, uh, West Kendall Regional Library. And we thought, okay, all right, we got we got a free venue we can use every month. That, that's what the sponsorship was for. They gave us a, f- a free venue that we can uh, produce events there monthly. But we still had to carry in equipment. And although we had, because we had the, the venue available to us the whole day, we had time to troubleshoot. It w- We found that we were limited in what we could do because we didn't have a permanent system set up for the things that we like to do audiovisually. And you know, when you set up a system, you have to do an immense amount of troubleshooting and and, and it takes an immense amount of time. And imagine having to do this every time you want to produce something. Now, the fundraising is such a difficult thing. Um, I was able to get as far as covering the costs of having an LLC by selling merchandise. Um, I'm also a craftsman. I make handmade jewelry and I used to participate in a lot of local markets. And that's how I would, uh, fund the, the, the expenses of having my LLC, my opera company. However, it wasn't quite enough to, to put away to, to purchase the theater space. So I took from my from my little paycheck i i took a, a large percent of every little paycheck and put it away put it away and put it away and by march 2020 i was 18% funded i i was 18% closer to buying that warehouse space that i wanted in tamiami to build my immersive theater powered by interactive multimedia technology. And then the pandemic happened and um, that dream was sort of crushed, was crushed because I saw that at least in Miami-Dade County, um, performances were, uh, and, and, and live performances were indefinitely canceled. And I'm using the word indefinitely as like undefined. We we didn't know what was going to happen when we were when we would be able to start up again and uh to make matters worse um uh my husband lost a lot of work my husband and i are both teachers um we we teach between well at the time of march 2020 we each t- between three universities and um, he lost a lot of work. Enrollment went down. His university was making the most money with our bread and butter. And so um, we were going to lose our home. So we decided to sell up and move to a more affordable area of Florida that would allow us to live um, more economically and also allow us to to focus on our artistic uh, uh, endeavors. And so now I am on a farm in North Florida and 
and I'm, I'm building an outdoor immersive theater space. Um, now, rather than trying to buy a warehouse in Miami, you know, now I'm killing two birds with one stone. I'm paying off my, my home. And, and, and then we'll also have the permission to produce beautiful, beautiful events on our land, which is a, a beautiful homestead uh, full of trees and nature. And, um, and so this is going to be a, a place where nature interfaces with immersive audiovisual technology. And I'm really excited about the, the new vision for my theater. Terrific, really. Having sustainable environment and sustainable agriculture and sustainable theater at the same place sounds amazing. We are now listening the beautiful sound of the Agnus Dei movement from Missa della Grande Transizione by a composer, Eliza Seguido. We came to our second segment of this quite inspiring conversation that I have with Liza. I will start this segment by quoting your words. You wrote in your doctoral essay that it has always been my contention that the voice is the most expressive musical instrument. Missa della Grande Transizione is a 22-minute electroacoustic nuptial mass for live processed voice and stereographic video using red-blue 3D glasses. You said that stereo photography was in vogue when your grandparents were married in 1955. Uh, their entire wedding album is composed of stereograms meant for viewing through a stereoscope. So what is the primary idea on the, this piece? Well, in as far as the music is concerned, I wanted to see how far I can take a soloist compositionally with technology. How far can I go compositionally with just one voice? And with Misa, I've shown that with the aid of uh, automated effects, the voice can become an entire choir, an entire orchestra of sounds. And uh, Misa is actually transposable so that any vocalist can realize this composition. I have yet to hear it uh, realized by a male voice, and that's something that I've, I'd be very interested in, uh, in hearing, if there are any male uh, uh, vocalists out there that would be interested in, in performing the work, please contact me at psycheopera.com. <laughs> Let's have a conversation. But yes, um, the, 
I do believe that the human voice is the most expressive instrument. It's so direct. It's so direct. I mean, what is more direct than the human voice in as far as uh, communicating emotions? Nothing is more direct. Um, I wanted to see how far I can get with just the human voice. So the voice is really considered to be one of wind, wind instruments. And uh, tell me, how did you apply or how did you conceive to apply uh, all those effects, delay, reverb, filters, granularization, and other effects in your MISA? Well, it, the way that I approached the composition was like a traditional composition. Uh, I sat down and I thought, okay, if I were a choir of people, how would I, um, you know, I, I wrote the composition first out as a, as a traditional piece. And then I thought, how much of this can I do in real time with just one person and technology? And you'll notice that the majority of the composition is composed like a canon in unison. And so that's because all of the material all of is is derived from the voice. That's why it's polyphonic. And that's why it's a canon at the unison, but it's much more than that because apart from delay effects, other things are happening to the vo to the voice to realize other lines. So uh, a bass line is generated in different ways by, uh, you know, pitching down the voice and time stretching it and hearing what that sounds like and how it, and how uh, it sounds juxtaposed on top of the more, um, uh, uh, the the more traditional canon parts of the composition. So the music came first, the technology and how to realize it came second, and of course. Um, in creating the application to realize the composition, the, some practical decisions had to be made that also shaped the composition. But I started with the music first, and then I figured out how to realize it with the technology later. And again, all of, all of the sounds you hear in Misa de la Grande Transition, I just like to remind your audience, was it generated in real time in front of the audience. It's just on stage, the performer with a microphone in front, and then microphone is, is just uh, pouring audio into this musical form that is already there in the Max application. Let's speak about the inspiration for this composition. You mentioned you drew inspiration from Penderecki's Saint uh, Luke's Passion and Machos, Guillaume de Machos, Renaissance composer, Flemish composer, from his Mass de Notre Dame. Is it in uh, context of melodic line, imitations, uh, Penderecki approach to white noise? Could you elaborate on that? Well, actually, a lot of the processes that Pendere uh, Pendereski and Michel used 
and they're in those particular compositions that I reference in uh, my essay are used in my composition. You know, Penderecki thought like an electroacoustic composer. He thought in textures um, and not about individual elements, individual notes juxtaposed against another. And of course, in Misa, um, that that is there a layer of the of the composition is like that. There's a, a lot of chance element in the composition in as far as okay, what pitch to sing here or uh, what what to do with my voice here and there. It's it's in some parts of me, it's all about building up textures to achieve a certain effect. That's how Penderecki approached a lot of his work, especially in the Saint Luke Passion. Machot thought like an electroacoustic composer. <laughs> <laughs> in Messe de Notre Dame, a lot of processes that electroacoustic composers use to put together a piece of music, Machot uses in his composition. Delay. You know, imitation, time stretching, reversing of material. Machot does this in Mesa de Nostradam to, to achieve uh, his, his counterpoint. All of these devices are used in Misa de la Grande Transizione, except not realizing it using a choir, I'm realizing it with one person uh, uh, being sampled by a computer in real time and stretching the material, reversing the material, um, creating uh, canons at the unison, transposing the voice. Uh, all, and so those two, comp those two compositions really exemplify how I put together Misa. And I, I drew a lot, a lot of, um, of course, a lot of inspiration from, from both composers, from these two disparate eras in our history. Uh, how, how did you approach that contrapuntal writing in this piece while you had only one singer on the stage? Well, again, 
first the the work was planned out as a traditional composition a lot of the a lot of the vocal lines were canons at the unison so i wrote a few canons at the unison and then um i also in included uh some some rounds and then also saw what kind of what kind of textures can i superimpose on these canons or how can i achieve um this um retrograde augmentation counterpoint with technology and so first the music had to be planned before the technology the the application to realize the music could be written mm -hmm. so the composition of misa was very much um an uh, a really uh, i would call it an augmented exercise in counterpuntal writing Right. Did you uh, create the canon using the feedback loop? Yes, I created the canons using um, measured, measured delays. I would like you explain that cohesive whole that has two parts: music and the video. Actually, those technique that you applied, and uh, tell me how they are related to each other. Sacred work. Uh, technology is there any story behind that yes so this composition began when i saw my my grandparents wedding photos my mind just exploded when i found that they had documented the wedding with stereo photography my great uncle fermin was an amateur photographer um and he was also uh a technologist. He loved loved technology and when a new technology was available to for purchase, he like jumped at it. He was the first in my family to to own a stereo system. And so um when when stereo photography was in vogue in Cuba in the 50s, he decided to buy himself a stereoscopic camera and a stereoscope and he was the one who documented my grandparents' wedding with these stereograms. Now, I thought it would be incredible to create a nuptial mass that, that would incorporate these stereograms as a backdrop to the performance. Practically, it didn't work. I found that the best way to experience this composition with the stereograms would be in a fixed playback environment where you would use like a Google Cardboard system to view the video rather than see it as an overly on stage because at least with the traditional uh, blue-green system or the red-green uh, red system or the red-blue system of... Um, of, uh, of viewing stereograms, you need to be a certain distance away from the video and you have to be at a certain position in front of the video to see the depth. And so in an audience setting where someone sitting at the side of the stage up towards the front of the stage would not be able to experience the, the depth that or be in the right placement in the, in to, to, to see 
the stereograms to experience the stereograms properly. So I guess this piece, as I conceived it, is a failed experiment, but I've since been reworking the composition so that the video, I create video backdrops for the performance of, of this composition. So this composition right now, there are two ways to experience it. The fixed playback version where you can enjoy the stereograms and the music and then the live performance version where I've created new video overlays for the performance version. Because as, again, as it was conceived, it doesn't really work. I've performed Misa de la Grande Transizione a lot in Miami with my new video overlays for it and the, um, the stereograms uh, from my grandparents' wedding and the videos I created with them are available on YouTube. If you don't want to search on YouTube, you just go to um, lizasejido.com and click on the Misa link there and, and it'll take you straight to the YouTube videos with the stereograms. For all listeners that they want to check it out and to listen more uh, compositions that we didn't, we didn't have time to speak about, they can check your website that is in the description. When I ask you what book or article or music would you recommend our listeners? Uh, you told me it's a poetics of music by Igor Stravinsky. You said every artist, every musician should read this book. Uh, you mentioned this book in your essay on Misa della Grande Transizione, saying that Igor Stravinsky articulated uh, the virtues of economical composition in the second lesson of his Poetics of Music. Yes. So uh, tell me something about that in, in the context of Misa and why uh, is that book so important for musicians? Well, I think the pitfalls of, of a lot of electroacoustic composition is that you have so much material you can draw from and so Therefore, some people draw on so much material and incorporate it into their composition that there is no cohesion in the composition. Well, some people would say, well, cohesion, throw that out the window. That's just a traditional notion. It was like, well, if you care about an audience connecting with your work and remembering it, then you want them to be able to latch onto something and so being economical with the materials you use is so very important to achieve that goal. And the, I guess that applies to, to acoustic composition as well. And Misa de la Grande Transizione, I apply that principle. It is a cyclic composition. What you hear in the Kyrie is heard in the Agnus Dei and then heard in parts of the Ite Misa Est. Um, what's heard in the glorious, heard in the sanctus, you know, and and within each composition, you know, the the only piece that is through composed and does not reference any other um, part of the work is the credo, which is the most expressive part of the composition, but it lies right in the middle. It is the climax of the composition, so it creates an. Uh, a logical arch form 
but the the listener returns to materials they heard in the beginning and so therefore they they will leave with something that they can remember right thank you for this short uh, lesson uh, on uh, stravinsky's book <laughs> we came to the end of uh, today's show and uh, to our first podcast episode number one you've been listening to the quite inspiring conversation i had with the uh, composer and multimedia artist liza seguido thank you liza thank you so much for uh, being uh, with us today i am pretty sure that our listeners will have plenty of sources to look for and uh, they had opportunity to learn something new as i did they can search your name and works so thank you for being with us today. Oh, Peja, it was a pleasure. And thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share my work with your audience. To find more about Soundologia, to hear more about our guests and listen to our previous shows, please visit us at soundologia.com. Keep in mind that my next guest is one of the most renowned and well-respected composers, artists, and organizers uh, who has been running his subtropic festivals for almost three decades. I'm very excited to announce that Gustavo Matamoros will join me at the Soundologia podcast and share with you his life and professional journey and provide some information on the upcoming Subtropic Festival that will be held from September 16th to September 19th in Miami, Florida, and also to give some tickets away to some of our listeners. So stay tuned and see you soon.